must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. They are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to their hardness of heart. They have become callous and have given themselves up to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. But that is not the way you learned Christ, assuming that you have heard about him and were taught in him as the truth is in Jesus, to put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires, and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds and to put on the new self created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. This is the word of God. Hey, Westside, I hope you're well. 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 2, the Apostle Paul is writing to young Timothy and says these words, What you have heard from me, Timothy, teach to other men so that they in turn will be able to teach others also. One of the great joys of my job is to teach other men how to teach and preach. And Westside, during this This Is My Story series over the next couple of weeks, you're going to be hearing from some of those men. This week, Philip Neely is going to be filling the pulpit. Philip and his beautiful family have been a part of Westside for a number of years, and they are vitally important to the life of this church. Philip has served on the worship team. He served as a board member in a number of capacities, and so is his wife, Rachel. So Westside, Please put your hands together and show Philip Neely some love. Well, thank you. Thank you. Is this on? Can you hear me? All right. Thank you for that. I didn't know that that, that was going to happen. <laughs> so. All right. Well, Westside, good morning. I'm excited to be here. And... Um, I'm excited to go into this series. We're starting This Is My Story. I'm going to scoot this a little further away from me so I can wave my arms a little bit more. Um, we're starting This Is My Story, and what you're going to hear, like he said, over the next couple weeks is you're going to hear from me and um, um, two other people, and we're just going to give our story. And you might, I mean, that's why it's called This Is My Story, right? That's why, that's why it's called that. And you might wonder, what's the importance of giving your story? Why would we do that? And the reason for this series is, is kind of twofold. It's so that you can see that God is working and active in other people's lives. That is, I still, as I tell my story, you can hear that. But also that you can see God working in your own life. Right. That as I stand up here and as I tell my story, you realize that he's working in, in his life, but he's also working in my life as well. And it kind of, when I think about that, I, I realize we really need this in some ways. When I look around at the world, we need a reminder that God is doing these things because I see heaviness. I see anxiety. I see us carrying all kinds of things, of all the things that are going on in the culture. I mean, this week it's super relevant. The, the divisiveness that we see in our own culture right now, we need this reminder that God is doing something. I was listening to this podcast recently, and it was called The Agent. I heard about this person. His name was Jack Barsky. And it was a fascinating, uh, fascinating podcast. This man, Jack Barsky, he, he grew up in East Germany. And he was recruited by the KGB to become a Russian spy. And I'm just like, man, this is super interesting, right? You know? And so he gets recruited, and he ends up, he has a wife and family in East Germany, but he goes to the U.S. to be a Russian spy in the U.S., and he ends up having a family in the U.S., and he's living this double life. 
And then he comes to realize he really likes America a lot more than he thought, and he decides to stay and defect from the KGB and live in America. And so I'm just following the story, and I'm so fascinated. I'm like, there's so many twists and turns. The stuff that he's going through, I mean, he's a Russian spy. It's so interesting. And he ends up getting picked up by the FBI. He ends up helping them out, and, and, I'm, and they're kind of wrapping up this story. And I get to the end of it, and I'm like, i got to look this guy up. What is he doing today? And I, and, I, and I look him up, and I'm astounded to find out. One, he's living in the U.S. still. And I find out that this man, Jack Barsky, has accepted Jesus. He's a Christian today. And he goes to churches, and he goes to different churches, and he tells his story to people and tells them about Jesus. And I was baffled, first off. I'm like, how could this guy, you know, I'm just, this guy's been through so many things. How could he possibly come to Jesus? And it just hit me in that moment. That as I was caught up in this narrative of what he was doing and all these things and following the twists and turns of his life, that he goes from East Germany to the U.S. and all these crazy things, and I'm so interested in that, I realized that God had a greater narrative that he was writing in this man's life. That the whole time he was pursuing Jack Parsky and he wanted him for his kingdom. And in the end, he ends up finding him and he ends up having that relationship with Jesus. You see, I missed the greater narrative because I was following the world's narrative. And so often we hear about what's going on in the world. We hear about, you know, we think about what's going on at the job, what's going on at church, what's going on in my life, and all these other things. And we forget that God is writing a greater narrative in each one of your lives. And we need this reminder to hear from each other that God is working. And in the world of Christianity, we use this word called a testimony, that as we tell our story, we're, we're telling a testimony. And how important is a testimony to give? We see it in God's word. In Revelation 12, verse 11, it says this. And they have conquered him by the blood of the lamb and by the word of their testimony. For they loved not their lives even unto death. And we find out in the verses before this that when it talks about him, it's talking about the accuser. And the accuser is on earth to accuse the brethren day and night. And the brethren, or the brothers and sisters, they overcome who? The accuser by the blood of the Lamb, which we know to be salvation in Jesus Christ. And I think we all have that understanding, but we miss something else sometimes. It's by the blood of the Lamb and the word of their testimony. This is huge, you guys. That when the accuser comes alongside you and tries to put things on you, when he says that you're not enough, that that sin will never go away, that you can never change, that that other person can't change, that this, this relationship can't be healed, we, we go to our testimony and we say, I know my God works, and I know that he's doing good things in my life, and I've seen him do good things in other people's lives, and that testimony tells me that God will give me victory over sin, he will give me victory in that relationship, and I will have life in him forever. That we come to the accuser with this weapon of our testimony and we wield it against him. And when he brings lies, we bring the truth, which is that God is working. And so we have that weapon, but we need to clarify a little bit. It's not just that I'm going to be up here telling a story. I need to clarify the difference between a biography and a testimony. See, a biography is a story of what I've done with my life. I'm not going to stand up here and tell you that because honestly... You'll get to Tio's at like 5 o'clock. I'll talk way too long. And then we'll just end up like, you, you won't be changed. I'll tell, it, it just wouldn't work. You, it wouldn't impact anybody. Because all I've done with my life is mess it up. But a testimony, while a biography is what you've done with your life, a testimony is what Jesus has done in your life. 
And that's what I'm up, to, up here to tell you. That's what throughout this series, that's what the other guys are going to tell you as well. This is what Jesus has done in a life. And my testimony starts in a place that maybe many of yours has started. My testimony starts with the fact that I grew up in church. And maybe some of you, I just want to say this, I feel led to say it, that maybe some of you feel like you don't have a story because I just grew up in church and my story's not that interesting. So did I. But God still has something to say through you. I grew up in church, and I loved Jesus from a young age. And I'll say, I really did. I'm not just trying to brag on myself. I'm almost kind of more impressed with my young self than I am as an adult. Um, I remember the first time that I witnessed to somebody. Witnessed is a bit of a stretch, as you will see. (laughs) Um, It was in kindergarten, and I was uh, in the little boy's bathroom, which is what a place to be witnessing to someone, right? And And I'm just standing there going to the bathroom, I guess, and I, and I turned to the person next to, I, I don't know if I even turned, because you're not supposed to do that in the bathroom, right? And so, <laughs> oh, I'm losing it here. Okay, so I, I'm talking to the person, I just, I'm standing there, I'm just like, man, I was thinking about, I'm like five years old, and I'm thinking about church, and how we've been talking about Jesus, and I'm just so excited. I just, man, Jesus is great. And I, I say to the person next to me, um, man, you know Jesus and the, and the kid was just like, no. <laughs> and I was blown away. I, seriously, as a five-year-old, this is what I grew up in. I was like, what do you mean you don't know who Jesus is? And so I, as a great evangelist, I turned to him, and I'm like, maybe I didn't turn. I'm not supposed to do that. And I was like, man, um, you should go home and ask your parents about him because they'll know who he is, and they'll tell you about him. I totally didn't tell him about Jesus. I did not, it was not really witnessing, I wouldn't say. I didn't evangelize this other kid. But at the same time, I, I, I brought up Jesus and I told him about him. Or I didn't tell him, I told him to go to ask his parents. And maybe that had an impact. I mean, maybe he went home and that had a huge impact on their family. I don't know. But I loved Jesus at a young age. And I just, I had a passion for that. Um, but as I got older, I, and I think that a lot of our stories tend to go down this road, I... I, I kind of faded in that. I honestly did. I, I started to go down a different path. And Ed, by the time I got to high school, I was at a place where I was in rebellion. I was lying to my parents. I was going to parties and drinking. And I, was, and I remember, though, at the same time, God was still something that I believed in. I still believed in God. I still, I still prayed. In fact, um, I remember a prayer that I had in, in the midst of all this. I was... Uh, I was praying one night, and I, I had a regiment. You know, I prayed, like, help me with this, help me with this, help me with this, and good night kind of thing. You know, that's, that's how my prayer kind of was. But this night, in the, maybe the most honest time that I had with Jesus that I can remember in praying, I prayed, and I said, God, just, I'm sorry for the things I've been doing. Just forgive me for those things, because I felt guilty. Forgive me for the things that I've been doing. I know I've been lying. I know I'm not doing what I'm supposed to do. Forgive me for that. And I paused. And then I went on, and I said, God, and forgive me for doing it, again, doing it again next weekend, because I know that I'm going to that party next weekend, and I'm going to see those people, and I'm going to hang out. You see, in the midst of it, I knew what I was doing was wrong, but I wasn't going to stop. I was praying for forgiveness for a future sin that I knew I was already going to commit. I knew I was going to keep lying. But God was still working on me in my heart. And so I, as I... I, as I get older, I, I also realize that God is working through me still even when I go to parties. I, had a, I, I was at a party one night, and uh, just 
This friend I was talking to, he may have been on something, I don't know, but <laughs> he claimed that he was, and I was talking with him, and uh, I shared the gospel. I wasn't sharing the gospel, but I was talking with him, and we were looking at the stars, and I was like, man, God has to be real, and I was just saying all these things. And I didn't know if it would make a difference, but after the party, I saw him the next day at school, and he came up to me. He's like, man, I don't know if it was whatever I was on or if it was you, but that's the first time in my life that I've ever thought that God was real. And so I look back at that time, and even though I was in bad things, and even though I was in rebellion, God was still choosing to work through me. He was still giving grace in the midst of things that I wasn't supposed to be doing. And so that's a, I think that's a message for some of you today. God still has grace for you. Even if you know where you're at today, and you know that you're not where you're supposed to be, God still has grace in that. And things didn't really change for me until I got to, it was the Easter Sunday of my junior year. I was in Springfield with my grandparents. And they go to James River in Springfield, Missouri. It's a massive church, if you don't know that church. It's thousands of people. This was probably like their fifth Easter service of that morning. I don't know, but there were thousands of people. And, and we're in the back, right? And, and we're, towards, we're standing up, we're singing worship. And I'm singing this song. I got my brothers on either side of me. And I've got my, my, the rest of my family, my grandparents, are just further down the row over here. And I'm, I'm praying, and, or I'm singing, and... Um, all of a sudden, as I'm singing this worship song, I feel like God just meets me in that moment. And he just says, do you mean what you're singing? And I, uh, I'm convicted, but the, at the same time, I'm trying to respond with, well, yeah, sure, of course I mean what I'm singing. You know, I'm singing to you. I'm in church. This is Easter. Of course I mean what I'm singing to you. And I feel like God in that moment just took everything that was on me, everything that I had been and who I was, and he lifted it up off me and it put it right in front of me. And I was staring at who I had been. I was looking at all the lies. I was looking at all the things that I had been doing. And I'm looking at it. And I broke on the inside. And I just was standing there trying not to just start crying. Just so you know, we're criers in my family. That's just how it is. I've asked God to take it from me. So that we just would. But that's just how we are. So when God hits me with things, I just want to start crying. And in that moment, I just want to start crying, and my family's around me, and I can't, because I'm like, I can't just break down in the middle of this Easter service in front of my whole family. And so I, I just, in that moment, all I could get out as I'm looking at myself and who I had been, and I just, I say to God, I'm like, I'm not going to walk in that anymore. I'm not going to do that anymore. I'm going to go home, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to live for you. I'm going to give my life to you. And truly, when I went home from that point on, it was different. I didn't go hang out at those parties anymore. I didn't go hang out with the same people. I told them, hey, I'm not going to do that stuff anymore. And of course, they were like, that's fine. You can still come hang out with us. And I never got invited to hang out with them ever again. <laughs> but I went from that point on, and I end up going through high school and into college, and I'm in leadership with these different ministries, and I get out of college, and I spend about a year in the workforce and go into missions from there. And then from missions, I meet my wife, and it just fast forwards. I mean, it, in many ways, God just, he was faithful through every step ever from that point on. And I realized even before that, he was faithful to me. He was still working in my life and had grace. And I get, and I, we get into missions and I meet my wife and we move back here and, and that's how we ended up here. But the reality is, is when I look back at my testimony, that moment of surrender that I had is what's so significant. That when I was faced with that sin, that I chose to go into Jesus rather than going back into it. And that's what really resonates with, this, with me this morning with my testimony. And 
And that's what I see in Ephesians 4, 20 through 24, or 17 through 24. And the first thing that I want to mention as we, as we dig into this verse, because I want to take this and I want to, I want to see what does this tell us? Because if that verse resonates me with, with me and my testimony, I want to take it and I want to say, how can we apply this? And the first thing that I want to point out is that with the book of Ephesians, this is a book written to Christians. So this isn't written to non-believers. It talks kind of a little bit about that, but this is written to us for us to listen to. This is not for people outside the church. We're, we need to take this and apply it to our lives because this is written to us. And what is the first thing that we see? The first thing that we see is in verse 17. And it is that we understand that we have all sinned. And that's my first point here. Look in verse 17. Now this I say and testify in the Lord, that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. What does it say? It says you must no longer walk. That implies that we used to walk that way. Right? As we read this list, sometimes we seem to think that's those people. But that's not, that's not the way we need to look at this. We need to realize this is what we were. This is who we, who we were without Jesus. And I think sometimes we get caught up in Christianity and we get caught up in, in what we have in Jesus and we forget where we came from. Who were we without Jesus? We were sinners. And we were this list that he gives. And the first thing that we, that we understand is that on our own, we produce nothing good. And we need to remember this. Because what this produces in us is what we need for the next part, which is we approach our walk with Christ with humility. We need this humility in our lives. We need to start there. That before we talk about putting on the new self and getting to the rest of this verse, we need to start from the place of, I know who I am. This is what I needed on that Easter Sunday. I knew what I was living in, but I had to see it. God had to put it in front of me for me to really reckon with it. And I pray that this morning, that as, I, as we talk about this, I pray that that is something that we experience in the room today, that we are faced with that, that maybe we know where we are, but we are face-to-face with it this morning, because we have to start there. We approach our walk with Christ with humility, and that affects how we treat other people, which is the third point here, which is we give grace to others because God did to us. What I think about when I think about this, this idea is, one of the com- most convicting things to me that I can think about is, or experience is if I'm watching my children play, if, if they're playing with dolls or something and, and I'm listening to how they're talking to each other, how the dolls are talking to each other, like one doll is being really harsh to the other doll right now and, I, and my, my kid is the one who's making it happen, right? Well, where did that come from? The thing is, if my child is harsh, then that harshness probably came from me. My child is going to act the way that I teach them to act, whether I realize I'm doing it or not. And if we follow that line of thinking, we realize that if God gave grace to us, if we understand that we were first sinners and that God gave grace to us, then that is what we give to other people. So often we give judgment. So often we pass down harsh things to other people and that we hold them accountable for things that God didn't hold us accountable for. We don't expect people that don't love Jesus to act like they love Jesus. We give grace to them because our Father in heaven gave grace to us. Just as my children act like I do, we act like our Father in heaven who gives us grace. So we understand that we have all sinned. We approach our walk with Christ in humility. 
and we give grace to other people because we get, he gives grace to us. I think that's super relevant to remember, especially on social media right now and people that we talk to right now, that we need to be giving grace to people, that we don't hop into the comment thread just to be harsh with other people, that we love them and we show grace. So we start realizing that, that that's who we are without Christ. And then the second point is what we get to, which is we learn Christ. And how do we do that? We do that based on Scripture, which is the first point here, not opinion. What does it say in verse 20? Look at your Bibles. It says here in verse 20, but that is not the way you learned Christ. What does he, say? What does he imply when he says the way that you learned Christ? When you say that's not the way to do it, you almost imply that there are other ways you could possibly try to do this. And so he's saying that's not the way that you learn Christ. And what we see that was happening is that in the culture, things were working their way into the gospel. Things were weaseling their way in, and people were thinking different ways. And, and what we call that is a false gospel. False gospels were taking hold of the congregation, and people were believing things that were not true. And so the question that I kind of sat with is, what do we see today? And what I saw in my life, in my testimony, and what I see in America today is I, I believe that materialism is one of those things. When I look around and I, and, I, and I see how much we have, I think that it has, it, it's making an impact on us as Christians. The story that I think of in the Bible is the, the rich young ruler. When he comes to Jesus, the rich, wrong, the rich young ruler, what does he say? He says, what can I do to enter the kingdom of God? And Jesus answers him, and they have this little back and forth. And he says, I've done all those things. And then Jesus says one more thing. He says, sell all that you have and follow me. And I've heard that preached before. I've heard other preachers talk about that. And I can think of one preacher in particular. He was talking about this, and he was telling the congregation all these things that, you know, this is what it says in God's word. And he gets to the end of his sermon, and he says, this, he says these words, and he says, and now I'm not saying that that's what God is saying to you. And I just wanted to stand up this morning and say, well, what if it is? What if that is what God is saying you, to you today? We always want to water it down. We always want to say, well, maybe God's not telling you to sell all of your things. But I would argue that we live in the richest nation in the world. We have so much. Even the poorest among us have access to so much more than people in the poorest countries in the world. That when God talks about talking to a rich young ruler, that's us. Whoever, we, whoever you are, wherever you're at in this room, because you were born in this country, you are probably that person. And so if, if that's what Jesus had to say to the rich young ruler, that's what he has to say to us this morning. Are we willing to surrender everything for the sake of following Jesus? And I would say that if you have a problem with that, if, we have a, if, you, if you come to that question and you say, I could never do that, then my question is, is what has your gospel become? What truth has, what, what, ha, what lie has weaseled its way in to tell you that you couldn't do something like that? What do those things offer you that you think Jesus does not? What comforts are those, that, those material things offering you that you don't think Jesus will give you? Because that's a false gospel. That, that is telling you something that's not true about Jesus. He can take care of you, and you could surrender everything to him, and he would absolutely provide for you every step of the way. And so we have to be careful of these false gospels. We have, to we have to learn Jesus based on Scripture, not on what the culture tries to tell us. And the next thing that we see, we see that that's the wrong way. So what is the right way to learn Christ? We see it in verse 21 and 22. And it's the next point, which is we put off the old self. 
In 21 and 22, it says, assuming, assuming that you have heard about him and were taught in him as the truth is in Jesus to put off your old self. So he says, that's not the way you learned Christ. And he says, assuming that the way you learned Christ was to put off the old self. So we see that the wrong way is all these false gospels, but the right way is to first start off with, we put off the old self. And that's what I had to face in that moment. When I was faced with the old self, when I was looking at the old self, I had a choice. I could say, yeah, I'm, I'm still going to keep doing that. Or I could say, no, I don't want that anymore. And that's what I did choose in that moment. But I get weary <laughs> I get weary of hearing about people that have lived years and years of the Christian life and they're, they're years down the road and they're still struggling with the same sin that they struggled with before they met Jesus. And I don't mean, guys, I don't, I don't mean to stand up here and say that we, that we should be perfect. I understand that, that there are, we still have flaws. We are human beings. And that's not necessarily what I'm talking about. I'm talking about how habitual sin that we have not let go of. And it, it, it wears me out, and the main reason is because I know that God has something so much better, that if we're stuck in that habitual sin, God has so much, something so much better for you this morning. We don't have to stay stuck in those things. No one is perfect. And I think that sometimes we hear this and we think that the call is to, is to, to work harder. That you feel convicted, and so I'm going I'm to go home and I'm going to do this, 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 and this. And my question is, is how is that going? Is it, is it really working? Because if you're years down the road and you've tried things, is that sin really broken in your life? I know that that wears you out because I've been in that place too. It wears you out and the world will constantly ask more and more of you and it will tell you to work harder, to do more, and change more, and do this, and you will get to the end of the day worn out and you will feel like you have made no progress. The call is not to work harder. The call is to surrender more to Jesus. We can't do this on our own. We, it would be a fail if you left this place thinking, I need to work harder to get rid of my sin. No, that is not what we're talking about today. The call is to surrender it to Jesus. In that moment that I was faced with it, I didn't say, I'm going to fix that. I looked at the old self and I said, God, Jesus, take that. Because I don't want it anymore. We have to surrender these things to Jesus. We don't try to fix them on our own. And when we do that, we, we realize that Jesus says that his yoke is easy and his burden is light. That when we surrender these things to Jesus, guys, he gives us something so much better, which is the third point. We see this in verse 23 and 24. The third point is we are renewed in the spirit of our minds to put on the new self. In verses 23 and 24, it says, and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds and to put on the new self. <laughs> I mean, it's right there, right? He's saying that the way we learn Christ is that we put off the old self and we put on the new self. This is what he's telling us is the right way to learn Christ. And so if that's what, God, that's what it says in God's word right here, then that's what we need to do. That's, that we step into, we are renewed in the spirit of our minds to put on the new self. And we get to this place, which is the third point, which is we look like Christ. And when I get to this place, I, I think again, we sometimes lean into you know, I have to work to look like Christ. But that's not what I see here. If we look, look again in verse 24, it says, and to put on the new self. And what does it say? Created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. It was created. Here's the question. Did you create that new self? No. 
Did you, did, you, did you make the shoes that you wore this morning? No, you didn't make them. But you're wearing them, right? Well, all you had to do was what? Put them on and start walking in them, right? We don't create this new self. So what does that mean? It's a gift. God created this. We end up, we, looking like Jesus Christ is not something we earned. It has to be a gift because we can't make that. This likeness that we get is created by God and given to us. So if it is a gift, what does that mean? That's my first point. It's, it's a gift, yes. It's a gift from God. So what does that mean? We steward it well. If, if, if we're supposed to walk in the new self and you, and you find yourself struggling to do that, my question is, how are you stewarding that gift of looking, looking like Christ? Are you spending time in God's word? Are you surrounding yourself with people in community that look like Jesus? I remember when I was younger, I, was, uh, I would work with my grandpa, and he would always say, I'll pay you $1.98 to help me. And I'm like, okay, you know, whatever. I'm a little kid, you know, $2, that sounds great. Well, $1.98 to clarify. And we would always work, and he would, at the end of it, he would always end up giving us $2. And we'd say, Grandpa, you said $1.98, you know, and you gave us two cents extra. And we would, we would get the $2, and we would say, you know, you gave us the two cents extra. And he would always say this, and I never fully understood it. And he, he would say, uh, well, I'd rather you owe it to me than me beat you out of it or something like that, and, or cheat me out of it. And I was like, what are you talking about? I don't, I don't know what this quote is. I think he was talking about gambling or something. Um, so he would always say that, but he would also say one other thing as well, which he would say, um, you know, don't go spend it all in one place. I'm sure many of you have heard that phrase before from someone in your life. But why would he say that? I mean, for me, it was $2, so I'm like, how could I possibly not spend this all in one place? But he was, he was giving me a gift, and why would he say that? Because he wanted me to steward it well. The idea is that we, he was giving me something, and he didn't want me to just go waste that. We understand that when we give gifts to other people, we don't want to, just, we don't want to see them just go waste those things. They want, we want to see them use those things well. And I don't think this is any different. God is giving us a new identity, a new self to walk in. Are we stewarding that well? Or are we just walking through it lackadaisically, not really thinking about it, not really taking, taking care to actually take care of this gift that we've been given? So we steward that gift well, but the second thing that I also see is that we don't walk in the new self by focusing on the old self. What he goes into is a list of things where he says, put away this, but walk in this. Put away this, but walk in this. And I think that oftentimes that we think that walking like Jesus means that we're going you know, to do, do a lot of things, but we need to focus on not doing bad things. And the problem is that I think that we often view re repentance as like our sin is over here, and, and, and it's like, okay, we're not going to do bad things, but we keep focusing over here and we just start walking backwards to Jesus. But we're still focused on our sin. But here's the thing, we don't walk backwards towards Jesus. That's not real repentance. Real repentance is we see this over here and we say, I don't want that anymore, and we turn to Jesus. That's what the word repentance means, to turn away from the direction you were going and turn to Jesus Christ. And so we don't, if we don't walk backwards to Jesus, we can't keep focusing over here. Oftentimes I think that the way we handle sin is like, okay, I need to stop doing bad things. I need to stop doing bad things. I need to stop doing bad things. But what are you thinking about all the time? The bad things. I, I heard this expressed to me some other way. Someone told me, they said, okay, I want you to not think about elephants. I said, okay. 
And they said, don't think about elephants, don't think about elephants, don't think about elephants. And they said, what are you thinking about? I said, elephants, <laughs> right? Because all they talked about was elephants. Maybe the reason why you're still struggling, struggling with that same sin is because you're still focused on it. You're still thinking about all the sin that you're supposed to not do. But if all you think about it is not, you know, whatever it is, then you're going to keep thinking about it. And, and the reality is, is you're not even really moving backwards towards Jesus. You're stuck in this cycle of sin of, I, I, I sin and then I repent. I sin and then I repent. The point is we have to turn away, but what do we turn to? Because if we just put off the old self and stay here, then we're going to keep getting drawn back into this. What do we get to? And I see this in James 4.17. We have to have a heart that surrenders to Christ and becomes consumed with the good that he wants to do. If we go to James uh, chapter 4, verse 17, if you turn there in your Bibles, um, James is talking to merchants. He's, in the section before this, he says, we don't go to such and such a place and say we're going to do this. Instead, we should say that, God willing, we will go to this such and such a place, and I, I may see a prophet, I may not, but God, it, we give it over to God. And at the end of this, he, he mentions a verse that I think is so significant, and the moment that I read it, I was just caught by it. And he says this in verse 17, if you're there. He says, so whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it, for him it is sin. I read that verse and, I, and it, 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 it kind of blew my mind because I, in my mind, sin was always not, it was always just doing a bad thing, right? But what James is saying right here is that if we know a good thing to do and we don't do it, for that, for that person it is sin, you're not even doing anything bad, right? It's not that you did a bad thing in that sin. It's that you knew to do a good thing and you didn't do it. And so if our call in Jesus Christ is to turn from sin, it's not to stay where we are because that would still be sin. If, we, if we're turning away from our sin and we're just putting that off and then we just sit... James is showing us that's not what we're called to do. That's not what the new self looks like. That's actually sin in our life. If we've turned from our sin, we're not doing the bad, but we're still just doing nothing. What we turn to is the good that God has for us to do. And the real reality is, is that when we do that, our hearts become consumed with that good that we're called to do. The reason why our hearts get drawn back into sin is because we haven't replaced that with Jesus. We haven't replaced that with the good that we know to do in Him. We just sit and we put off the old self. In that moment when I, when I was faced with who I was, I had to go home. I had to do the things that I told Jesus that I was going to do. I had to walk in Him. And even though it's a gift to look like Him, there was still action that I needed to take to actually live that out. And so the call isn't just to, to let go of the sin. It is to go into the new self. It is to walk in the good. What good does God have for you to do? What good do you know to do in your life? The call today is to surrender that, is to walk in that, to surrender the old self and walk into that. I'm going to end with this story as the band wants to come up. The year that I kind of skipped over in my testimony, I was, I was, I was working in the workforce. I was at Six Flags in St. Louis. That's where I grew up. And I was working in the public relations office. And I, and I want to tell this story because I think that sometimes when we think about the good to do, I think so, much, so many of us feel lost. What is my calling in life? What am I supposed to do with my life? 
And in my life, what I experienced was I was, I was working in this job. And I felt kind of stuck. I had gone over the Christmas break to Mexico with some friends into missions. And I felt called into that. I, felt, I was like, I, I want to do missions in some way. But I didn't know what it was supposed to look like. I had no idea. I didn't know where to go. I didn't, know, I didn't have a country in mind. I, I had nothing. I was like, I feel like I want to do that with my life, but I don't know what it looks like. And so I, at the beginning of the year, I, I was applying for a job there full time to stay there even longer because my job was kind of an internship. It was coming to an end. And so I was applying for this other job and I felt, I, I was talking to my friend and uh, I, I was go, walking through some things with him and I said, and he said to me, he said, um, do you think you're going to be working at Six Flags the rest of your life? And I said, no. And he said, then don't do this. Don't take the job. I was like, but I don't have an answer. I don't know what to do after that. He said, you don't have to. And so I, I did. I, I, I emailed them and I told them, I, I, I can't do this other job. I don't know. I was already in the office. I, I was pretty sure I was going to get it, but I didn't know for sure. I just told them I can't do this. But I didn't have an answer. And I spent the whole rest of that year trying to answer the question of what am I going to now do? I felt like I was going to be gone by the end of the year, but I had no idea where to. And I, just, I, I, I sent that email to them in, in tears because I was like, this was like what I had, you know? This was my, my comfort in many ways, this job, this, this solid thing that I was going to go after. And I was emailing them, listening. I probably shouldn't have had the songs I Surrender All in the background, but I did. I was praying, I was, and I felt I needed to send this email. And so I'm just like, I, I need to surrender this to God. And so I wrote the email in that moment and sent it to them and told them that I couldn't do it. And I spent the rest of that year praying, and God said nothing. Think about that. I had, this I had this amazing moment where I surrendered it all to Jesus, and I said, whatever you want to do, Jesus, I'll do anything. Tell me where to go. Silence. And I cut. I wasn't mad, okay, but I was a little bit like, Jesus, how many people might, like, with this situation are even asking you what to do with their life? And I'm like, and you won't answer me? Like, I'm praying, you know? And I, and I, I go through months and months. I'm looking into different things. I feel no leading any direction. I don't feel like God is saying anything. I, there's no, this country isn't keep popping up or anything like that. I, I feel nothing as far as missions other than that I, it feels like something that I, I think I should do. And I go months and months, and I'm in this prayer ministry, I'm in this worship ministry, I'm doing all these things, feeling no answer, and I just eventually decide to go to this one. And I, and I pray and I say, you know, God, I'm, I'm going to do this thing. I'm going to go to Harrisburg, I'm going to go join this missions organization. If you don't want me to do that, maybe just say something, because that's what I'm going to do. Because I think I would enjoy doing it, and it would glorify you. And that's the, kind of what I want to do. And so... I, we get my stuff packed up. We're on the way. God has said nothing for probably a full year. And I, we're in the car on the way there. And for the first time in a year, I told you that I cry, <laughs> okay? This moment was so real to me. I felt like God just came down into that moment and he said, Philip, I'm so glad you chose this. I'm so glad you chose it. And I did what I'm doing right now, which is I almost started to cry. And I was just like, God, I don't know. I don't know what to say. I'm kind of mad at you for not talking to me for a year. <laughs> but, but God, I would have done anything. Uh, why didn't you just say something? I would have done it. You know I would have. And I felt like you just said I wanted you to choose it. 
And the reality is, is that when we surrender these things over to Jesus, when we give them up, God puts different desires on your heart. We don't ignore those things. Even if God doesn't give you exact direction, maybe you're looking for that reason. Maybe you're looking for that specific thing in your life. Maybe it's not something specific. Just do something. Maybe there is something specific to walk into. Pray into that. Maybe God will talk to you. He didn't talk to me. But maybe he will. Maybe he'll say something. But whether he says something or not, we know the good to do. It's in his word. And if you know the good to do, then we we step into that, whether God gave us the answers or not. And we just start walking. And God's faithfulness follows that. God steps into that and he says, I'm so glad you chose to do this. And I think that God has that for people in the room today. I know that God has good things for you to do today. And the question is, what are those? The big idea that I want to end up with this is that we see the good things to do in the new self, but it takes full surrender of the old self. If you have things in your life, I want to end with these two questions. What part of the old self are you still holding on to? Because if you still have those things in your life, it's hard to see the good to do when you're still holding on to all those other things. If you're still focused on stopping this, how can you focus on doing this? How can you focus on it? We have to let go of the old self. Whatever that is in your life today, I pray that the same way he put it right in front of me, I pray that he puts it in front of you. That you see what you've been doing for what it is, a sin. And you say, I'm not going to walk in that anymore. And you don't go home and you work harder. You surrender that right now to Jesus Christ. Because that's what I had to do. I had to surrender that. I had to let go and say, that's not who I am. That I'm not going to be that anymore. And Jesus, I need you to take that for me. And the second question is this, what good do you know to do and how can you start walking in it today? I think that a lot of you, as I'm even saying that, you know what you've been feeling. You know that you're called to do something. And maybe there's things popping into your mind, but I also pray the Holy Spirit starts to just work through this room and puts things on your heart and your mind that you realize, I, I know that I'm supposed to do this thing. And that you just start walking into that. We don't wait for the, direct, the, the, the specific direction all the time. Sometimes we just start walking, and then God follows that. Go ahead and stand with me this morning. I want to pray for us that as we go from this place that God would convict us, actually even just in this room that he would convict us, and my prayer is that we would, we would let go. Jesus, this morning, I thank you that you are working. I thank you that you worked in my life, God, that you gave me the grace to come down and show me who I was being. That even though I felt convicted and I knew that it was wrong, I needed to see it, Jesus. And I pray that in this room, your Holy Spirit would work through this room right now on hearts and that you would show us the things that we're still holding on to, the ways that we're still walking in the old self, that even though we may have accepted you, God, and even though we believe that we have salvation in you, Jesus, there's still things that we're holding on to, God, and we haven't fully surrendered those things to you this morning, and I pray that in every heart, you would highlight those things and that the response would be full surrender to you this morning, Jesus. I pray that we would let go Let go of those things, not try to work harder, but to let go of those things and give them over to you, Jesus. And that from that place, God, I pray that you would also go through this room right now and just highlight in hearts, highlight the callings that you have for people, Jesus. 
we submit it up to you, God. We say that we're willing to do whatever. We just want to live for you. We want to glorify you, God. I pray that you would show us the good that you have for us to do. That we would go from this place into the community. That we would see the hurt around us, God. And we would look like you in our communities, Jesus. That we would go after the good. That the conversation around sin would be less about what bad do we need to stop doing and be more about what good are we not doing yet. Help us to walk in those things this morning, Jesus. Highlight those things in our hearts, God. Help us to surrender and help us to walk in the good that you have for us to do. We love you, Jesus, and we give it all to you. In your name we pray, amen.